0: Man. Thank you. Maybe be seated. You guys don't know it, most of you. I, I'm, I'm just somebody that uh, is related to people you've heard of or something like that. But this is a very special place to me. And uh, uh, Martinsburg is a place that, um, that was, was a big part of my growing up, uh, as was Ephrata when Van and Janet lived there. Man, it was just some of the highlights of our summer, my brother and I, to go to Uncle Van's house and uh my my dad was trying to i just remembered this earlier i was trying to think of just how chris uh came about all this my brother and and uh, i remember one time dad saying um you need to call him pastor van when you're talking to the people he goes okay pastor uncle van yeah i think I, i can't remember which church that was at but i just remember that so clearly um listen But one of the main reasons this place in particular is special to me is because of the way you've encouraged my family. Uh, You have no idea what an encouragement it is to me to know that you have supported my brother on mission. When he and his wife and family lived in Kazakhstan, you were a supporting church for him. They did good work there. Now he is a a mobilizer of of missionaries, and I think this year alone he has sent about 80 people to unreached areas to, to proclaim Christ in areas that you or I can't go to. It's amazing. And you, you played a part in that because in summers you were part of his discipleship. Uh, you also were a part of supporting and encouraging him to help him see and catch the vision for what he does now. Uh, my father has, I believe, uh, proclaimed Christ here. Uh, you, many of you know my father Howard and, and my mother Kathy uh, you have been a huge encouragement to them as well. I, I just connected the dots last night as Bob shared his story that I, and as we, um, as we met with uh, uh, Jeff and Deb for dinner that uh, both of them had been key in encouraging my parents at critical times. And, and I had no idea who you were, but at a critical time when Bob decided to support and encourage my parents... I had no idea. Just all I knew was some guy in Indiana that had lost his wife was about to lose his wife had decided to support my parents, and it was at a time uh, when they were about to give up hope. And his encouragement to them was a series, part of a series of events that helped them believe that what they were doing in Guam was possible. You are a part of that because you are a part of him. Uh, You also have many of you may know my children, Christopher Carrington. Uh, Madeline and Kendall. You don't know Ava because she came along way later. There's a story there I'll tell you another time. Um, But uh, my kids took on the tradition of of heading to Uncle Van's house way back when you guys started sports camp. And so you have participated in the discipleship of my family. So thank you for that. You're an encouragement to me. And what you need to know is I don't know how many times he tells you but every single time he tells me is, is Van loves to be your pastor. And he loves you dearly, and he counts it a privilege to be here. And so thank you for loving him back, and thank you for, uh, for, for uh, all you do to encourage my family and to make a difference here for the kingdom of God. That's just what, something I want you to know. Uh, I've been able to hang out with the men of your church this week, and I want to invite the men who were a part of that retreat to just stand where you are right now. I told you I was going to do it, and I'm going to do what I say, because that's what we've been talking about all weekend, all right? Here's what we've been talking about. These men have have committed through the weekend to follow the elders as they follow Christ, willing to go first so that you can follow them as you too follow Christ. And, and we're going to commit right now in front of you to act like men. And so, men, I want you to say it with me what we're committing to. You ready? That's what we're committing to. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Men, you lead that, and this church will never be the same in the very best way. Thank you so much. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. I just encourage you to meet me there. I'll I'll pick you up in a second, because while you're turning there, we need to take care of something. Uh, I know you know my family, but I don't know you, and I don't know if you're my kind of people or not, so I need to ask you some questions. Um, these are not easy questions to answer these are questions that are deeply meaningful to me Um, soul splitting questions that cut to the heart of who you are as a person and show me whether you're people of character and integrity or not these are questions that really really matter questions like Red Sox or Yankees Uh, we're preaching the gospel today I encourage you Red Sox fans to hang in there all right you hang in there listen Ford or Chevy Nissan, I like that. Uh, Beach or mountains? About three quarters of you were right on that one. How about this one? Dog person or cat person? You can't be both. Make a choice. Come on. Man. This one has... Um, impacted marriages for many, many years. In fact, it may be the culprit for unraveling a few. Toilet paper roll over or under? There's only one right answer, and I have to ask my wife. Not just because it's Sunday, but from the heart. Chick Fil A or Zaxby's? Chick Fil A. I knew you loved Jesus here. I knew it. And uh, how about this one? Democrat? Ah, no, never mind. We're not going to do it. So listen, uh, can I just confess to you that the, I'm, I'm having some fun, but can I just confess to you, some of these things matter way too much to me. Like it, they matter way too much. I put way too much importance at times on things that are not of importance. It's just true. And so listen, here's the thing. Every one of us knows someone on either one of these sides of, the, of these debates or some similar debate that's really not all that consequential, especially when you factor in eternity, And they just take it way too seriously. Do you know anybody like that? If you don't know anybody like that, it's probably because you're that person. (laughs) All right? Everybody knows somebody like that. But what I want to talk about today is a question that really does cut to the heart of who we are. And we had some fun, but I want to get there right now. There's a question that is paramount to you being who you are and who you aspire to be. A.W. Tozer said it this way, I love to quote Tozer because it just makes you sound smart when you quote him. Um, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So When I say that to you, what comes into mind? I don't want you to say it out loud. I want you to just hold it for a minute. Hold it in your mind, and let's spend some time with it as we work through the passage. What comes into your mind? Do you see God as judge and wrathful? Do you see God as grace and giving? Do you see God as distant or close? Do you see God as creator You see God as disinterested. The thing that comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. See, there comes a time in maturity where you have to reconcile what you believe about things that you cannot see. That's just true. And in Colossians 1, I told you I'd meet you there. I hope you're there. Colossians 1. We're going to start in verse 15. I want to read through a passage It really sheds some light on the tension of trying to follow and try to glorify and trying to worship and trying to obey a God that we cannot see. And he tells us from his own mouth in Isaiah 55 that we will never fully understand because it's not for us to understand the ways of God. Look at verse 15 of Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus here the firstborn of all creation. and Some of you are already there. Like We're talking about what we think about God and you're jumping to Jesus. What's, what's going on? I want you to hang with me. There's something here that we need to know. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Note takers, here you go. Verse 17. You live for these moments. This is it. And he is before all things. Highlight that, circle it, star it, make pictures in the margins. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross, now I want to just go ahead and just clarify something for you. If, you're, if you came here today for me to unpack every word in that we don 't have time i got a flight at four thirty all right. Everything in this passage could stand alone as not only a sermon but an entire sermon series. You understand? But there are two things that I want to pull out of here and then it'll wrap up with the paragraph at the end that we'll go to in a minute that can really impact us and men from the retreat, men of this church, you need to understand that everything you just stood and you proclaimed and that we've been talking about all weekend is impossible in and of your own strength. But it is absolutely possible because this is true. And it all starts, it all starts with this statement. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of creation. See, everything you need to know about God in order to reconcile how you think of him, everything you need to know about God is evident in the person of Jesus. And the things that we can't understand about him because we can't fathom him because he seems so far away and at times so wrathful and at times so merciful and at times so otherworldly and idealistic and it just, can we just be honest, all these things pop on our head. We're like, I don't get this God thing. In his grace and in his love for us, he has provided for us an image of himself that we can understand that his son left there to come here is the greatest miracle of this book in fact it's the point of this book that in the beginning God created man and he created man in whose image his image and we were so good at living in his image that we messed it up by like page two of my Bible and and in his image uh, we were created, but in his image, we could not live. We, we, we messed it up. And I love to blame Adam, but if I'm honest, it would have been me. I would have messed it up too. So then there's the rest of this book from page two all the way to the end that simply summarizes one story, made, uh, many stories telling one story about the redemption of mankind. God bringing his prized possession back into right relationship with himself. And his chosen method of doing that is Jesus through his life through his death through his resurrection that's just the gospel that's why we gather. We gather as the people of God united around the gospel uh, to, to proclaim His name and to, to, to gather in order to glorify His name because of Jesus. And if you're here for any other reason, you should go home now because it makes no sense to be here on a Sunday morning listening to some dude from Virginia via Pennsylvania, via Louisiana via South Carolina that you've never met before when you could have slept in or gone to brunch. Because if that's not true, this is stupid what we're doing. It's hard to worship a God we can't see, but he's made possible through the presence of his son. And see, I think we get that part of the gospel. We get that part of the gospel that saved us from something back there, but I want us to really lean into the truth of the gospel that saves us to something up here and continuously. Men, you talk about staying out of the ditches and walking the road. This is it, what we're after today. It's the issue of lordship of Christ. It's how we understand who God the Father, the one that we are supposed to reflect as his prized creation, who he is, is reflected in the life of his son. And I'm just admitting to you publicly that this part has not ever made a lot of sense to me until recently. God's used this passage to wreck my life at the very best way at just the perfect time a few years ago to where I really stopped hearing myself say things like, I really wish I could see God like they saw in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever just judged the disciples? They're walking with Jesus, but they keep messing up. You think, I wouldn't do that if I could actually see them. That would be awesome. But even worse than that is like my attitude toward the Israelites. I have problems with the Israelites. See, the Israelites took for granted that the presence of God was among them. And ever since I was a little kid, I thought, man, how'd they screw this up? Follow the cloud. You can see the cloud, follow the cloud. What about when it gets dark? It'll turn into fire. Okay, we're in, let's go. I can follow that. I can do that. I can see God, I can go. I read stories like Gideon and Jericho, the story of Jericho, Joshua and Jericho. It's ridiculous stories what happened. Have you ever thought about what happened? We read these stories like they're just normal. They're ridiculous. But God appeared and revealed himself to men in such a way that they would do crazy things like go fight battles and give the fighters the day off and let the band handle it. (laughs) And I think if he would do that for me, I'd be in. I can do better if he would just show himself to me. And what I'm really declaring to him is, God, I deserve to see more of you than you're showing me. And what I'm really declaring when I say, if you could just let me see you, then I could follow you better. is I'm really saying, God, treat me how I deserve. And many of you in the room where you're like, oh, yeah, I, I can get down with that. And I keep saying, hey, God. Show me. Deal with me like that. And if you think that. Lean in for a second. If you think you want God to deal with you that way. No, you don't no you don't we do not want God to treat us as we deserve and we do not want to come face to face with his presence in a way that blows our mind because I don't think we could handle it in fact the two guys that have gotten a glimpse of the throne room are guys who wrote huge chunks of scripture Isaiah wrote like this much of the Old Testament you can just flip it open to the middle you're probably in Isaiah it's a huge book he spoke to the Israelites on behalf of God Himself, yet when he caught a glimpse of the throne room, he was out of words. John wrote uh, five different books in the New Testament, a man who walked with God daily. He gets a glimpse of the of the throne room and the only thing that comes out of him this eloquent writer this educated man is all of a sudden he says like look i looked in there and he was way up there and i was way down here and there was like light but it wasn't just light it was like really light light it was like the lightest light i've ever liked like just light man it was a lot of light he can't fathom what he saw we can't either But through His Word, we see that He is not done revealing Himself to us. All through the Old Testament, He revealed Himself in tangible ways, writing on tablets and and, and appearing as clouds and fire and and wetting fleeces and speaking audibly and all these things and casting fire down on a wet altar and all these cool stories. But in the New Testament, He gave us Jesus. Jesus one of the greatest pictures of the gospel is that in Jesus, we no longer have to wonder what God is like. We no longer have to wonder. See, we're trying to wrap our heads around something that we can't comprehend because we can't fathom heaven. We can't fathom holy. We can't fathom the throne room of God where angels sing and all these crazy images we try to create to make that make sense. We don't need to go there. What we need to look is that a man who walked among us as the firstborn of creation, not that he was firstborn like he's the oldest, but that he's the primary example of what we were meant to be as image bearers of Christ. He's the only one that ever walked around here and didn't get wrecked by it. And so in him, Paul says, in something that we can understand, in something that breathed and walked and got tired and sprained his ankle and had to navigate making choices uh, against other people's choices, all those things. We see a man that lives so perfectly and was so God, even while so man that he is the image of the invisible God. That's power, power powerful, powerful part of the gospel. And I think we ignore it sometimes. But if we read of his life, we can begin to understand the very essence, the very nature, the most God part of God was reflected in his son. It's not some photocopy that lost quality with the second print. It's not a reflection that requires just enough light but you really can't see it. It is the very essence of God walking, talking, breathing among us in his character, in his shape, in his power, and all those things. See, the beauty of the gospel is that God came to us. And it wasn't just for us. But we were chosen to see the power of Almighty God through the glory of his Son. So that one day His creation could be returned to its original purpose from page 2 of your Bible that we were created to reflect His image, His essence just like Christ. So As we follow Christ we become more like Christ, we become better reflections of the Father. And so don't try to bend your mind around the Father all the time without calibrating to the truth of who Christ is because we can get some really wrong ideas about who God is or some unbalanced ideas of who God is if we ignore the reflection that we can actually understand in the person the man of Christ who was just God and just man all at the same time and when I look at his life when I read the gospels from Matthew Mark Luke and John I read a little bit of his life in Acts I begin to see some characteristics emerge that bring a balance to how I can view God if he is indeed a reflection of the father then I need to know that Jesus through his life shows me that God is merciful and forgiving John chapter 8 you can read about an encounter that Jesus had with this woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. Drug to her death sentence. The law says that she should have been stoned. Absolutely by the book she should have been stoned. But these men with impure motives stood before her, rocks in hand to execute her according to the law and Jesus stood between her and her accusers and asked them, If any of them were without sin. In fact, it's almost as if he said, hey, if any of you are innocent, I'll move. You can hit her. One by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. And her life was spared. Her life was changed. The trajectory of her life radically shifted from her sin to a clear glimpse of the love and the mercy of the father through his son. In books like Matthew and Luke, you can read about how he spends time with tax collectors. It's not even April 15th yet, and I hate tax collectors, don't you? I don't know about how West Virginia works, but Louisiana has been in my pocket for a long time. And here's this Zacchaeus he's not even an honest tax collector, he's living a life of debauchery, a rock star lifestyle at the expense of those who are paying taxes because he's manipulating the law for his own gain and they know it and there's nothing they can do about it he's an evil man in every way and besides that he's short he probably has short man syndrome or something and Jesus stopped an entire parade to hang out with that dude and it changed his life and it repurposed him to live generously and to live from the character of Christ as he began to follow Christ, a better reflection of the Father, simply because Jesus was merciful and forgiving. There's Matthew, another tax collector. He didn't just stop to talk to him. He said, hey, come on with me. You can be one of my 12. You're my, you're my A-team. Come with me. We're going to do great things together. There's this guy, this arrogant leader named Nicodemus you can read about. And can I just tell you, Nicodemus just bothers me, man. Because I know a guy that reminds me of Nicodemus. He shows up at my office sometimes and asks me these, like, twisted questions. You ever know anybody like that? They ask you a question, but they're really just trying to get you trapped so they can ask you another question. Nicodemus comes, and he starts, like, just teasing Jesus. And Jesus, instead of getting defensive like I do, or instead of, like, just being right and slamming him with the truth like I do sometimes... He decides to love Nicodemus and to see past his impure motives and his twisted questions and show him mercy and forgiveness. These are the traits of God seen in the life of Jesus. And this is great news. It's the gospel. It's the gospel intersecting the lives of people like us who don't deserve it. Because I don't know how you are, but, man, I'm pretty jacked up. And Jesus interrupted my life with mercy and forgiveness. And so when I dare for a moment think about what, what God should do because I deserve it, I'm immediately drawn to the memory of Christ's life and the fact that I don't deserve it. And that God, through his Son, was merciful and forgiving. I don't know how that strikes you, but I have a lot of conversations with people that start something like this. Pastor Chad, I just don't understand. I mean, I'm doing good. I, I'm living better, man. You should have seen how I used to be, and I'm doing this. Like, I came to church three times last month. It was awesome. Man. And, and life is still hard. Or they'll come in and be like, man, I'm just having a lot of trouble, and things aren't going well, and I know why. I mean, i sinned. I have some stuff going on. And I'm not talking about the difference between God blessing good choices and blessing bad choices. I'm talking about us living our lives like God is a God of karma. Often that's what I hear from folks. And if that's the way we view God, if we begin to dare see God in a way that he owes us something, that he should treat us how we deserve, I want to remind us that through the life of Jesus, the fact that he left there and came here, we see the very nature of God as merciful and loving, and we see that God the Father went way out of his way to make sure that we don't get what we deserve. We don't want that. Jesus is merciful forgiving and since he's the very image the essence of god the father that means that god isn't just a wrathful god ready to strike down sinners he's not zeus throwing lightning bolts every time we mess up he's loving forgiving and through his son he shows mercy and forgiveness and he can do that he can do that because we also see some other attributes of him in Jesus' life. We see that God the Father is a God of authority and power because Jesus, the Son, lived this, in this world as a God of authority and power. We see it again and again as he told sick people to be well, he cast out demons, he told winds and waves to be quiet, and they did. Storms stopped at his command, he walked on water, not even the flu could take him down. He's not just some good man. He's the son of God and he has authority to speak creation into existence. Did you catch that in that verse? In that passage we just read, Jesus was not just around observing God the Father do work. He participated in the work of creation. Which means that there's something about the Trinity that is true that reminds me that God already existed in perfect harmony, in perfect loving community with himself. Father, Spirit, Son. I don't understand it. It bends my mind. But he didn't need us. But he chose to create us in his image. At his authority, and his power, he spoke us into Existence. at his authority and his power he has the ability to declare us free from the bondage of our sins through the life of his son. But thank God he's not just judge, he's not just powerful and authoritative, he's also merciful and forgiving. But if that's all I know about God the Father, then the whole thing that Bob was speaking of a minute ago, and it bends my mind too, that that God, as Andrew Murray says, sovereign God in His infinite wisdom would choose to limit His activity among His people to the prayers of His people blows my mind. But it also reminds me I should pray. And if all I know about God is that He's merciful, forgiving, authoritative, and powerful, I tend to come to God like this, dear God, please show mercy. And I ignore more of him. If I only see him as judge, I forget that he is also justifier. He's full of love and compassion. And we see that in Jesus too. We see it in his life that his, his entire time here, he did the thing that you and I are really not great at without him. He ran to the messy. He ran into the hurts and hangups of people. He stops. He crosses the street not to get away from the leper, but to go towards the leper, to walk with them, to touch them, and to heal them. When others were even scared to talk to them or speak of them or look at them. Then there's Peter. Oh, Peter, man, he is something else. I take great comfort from the way Jesus showed love and compassion to Peter. Impetuous, impulsive, denied Jesus three times Peter Jesus let him lead the disciples Jesus let him muddle his way through to the point of such great faith such great understanding of the nature of God from what he had seen in Christ that after he denied Christ he came to understand the whole story of the gospel and he got to Peter got to proclaim the greatest sermon in history look at the book of Acts thank God he did because it made it all the way to us And we can gather today because of a guy like Peter shown love and compassion despite his inadequacies. I see it when Jesus came to heal Lazarus. He didn't just heal him from down the road, although he could have. He came and he sat and he grieved and he held the sisters, these friends that he loved. He cried with them even as he was walking to the tomb, knowing that he would raise Lazarus. He took time to love them where they were and meet them in their hurt. He's full of mercy. He's the source of forgiveness. He's powerful. He's authoritative over all things, yet he is loving and patient and filled with compassion. That is a robust view of God. That is a balanced view that if we'll live within that truth and follow Christ towards that kind of of, of life, then he becomes Lord of our life, and as we follow him, we become better reflections of all those things for the Father. And look, once we have to reconcile... Uh, We just have to reconcile in our minds that Jesus is God, that He's first over creation. He's not just first created. When we begin to see that and we begin to understand and make sense out of who He was and what He was reflecting about God, then verse 17 begins to make a ton of sense. And I told you to underline it, highlight it, whatever you needed to do because it's the hinge point of Paul's letter. And I believe personally, this is just me, this is no, i am not quoting scholars, it's purely conjecture, this is Chad 101 right here. I believe it's the hinge point for understanding all of Paul's writing. Verse 17. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. This is a statement of time. He's before all things. He was there in the beginning. He created, he participated, he sustained it. He's all those things. But it's also a statement of his authority and his status. That he is quite literally primary to everything else. Men of God, I've called you to make Jesus the Lord of your life this weekend. Lordship looks like this. Because of Christ, I can know the Father, so I will follow Christ and I will make my life more like Christ's. And any time my will and his are in conflict, he's right. He's before all things. And so my finances reflect that. My family reflects that. My priorities, my calendar reflect that. My choices reflect that. My internet browser reflects that. That God is before all things because I follow Christ and He is preeminent. Back to John. He couldn't describe the throne room. just said light a lot. But listen to how he described Jesus. A man he walked with for three and a half years. He, Jesus, who comes from above is above all. There's his deity. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in the earthly way. There's his firstborn of creation. He's one of us. He who comes from heaven is above all. He simply declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he's a reflection of the Father. It's a strong statement. He's before all things, Paul says. He holds it together. He who comes from heaven is above all, John says, and you know what? We don't all love that, that truth, do we? Because I kind of like to pick and choose when I need Jesus. And sometimes lordship of Christ looks a lot like my relationship with my iPhone voice. You know, Siri? Siri on my phone has a British accent. Makes it makes her sound smarter. But I don't rely on Siri. I just kind of use Siri when I'm in a bind and I can't, you know, I can't do anything else. So I can Google it myself. But if I'm working on a car and my hands are dirty, I can call on Siri and she can look something up for me. When I'm driving and I don't want to take my hands off the wheel and text, Siri will do it for me. Siri will pull up my GPS. Really what I'm saying when I have my phone in my hand is, and sometimes in how I posture towards Christ, God forgive me, is that I'll handle all the stuff I can handle and I'll save the hard stuff for Christ. Just like I do Siri. And see, the problem with that is that I forget that this book is about him, not about me. That the only pages about me show me my shortcomings, and the rest of it's about him. Page 1 and 2 are about God speaking man into existence in his own image, and we messed it up. We don't even make it past page 2. And the rest of this book is about him making things right through his son, the very method of reconciling us to himself so that we could again be in relationship with him and I get it wrong when I don't see that Christ is preeminent and I don't see him as the invisible image of God because then I turn this book a lot like my high school year book it's important to me I think I know which shelf it's on pretty fond of it because it casts me in a good light and I know where all the pages are that are about me When we turn this book into a book about us, we miss the truth that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is God's chosen method for the redemption of man to put us in right relationship with himself so that we can then be a part of the mystery of prayer and step into that throne room that no man can describe and we can speak to him and rely on his mercy, rely on his forgiveness, trust his authority, trust his power, and rest in the fact that he is loving and compassionate. A twisted view of scripture puts me at the center, and that's a meology, and that's false. But proper theology has me look at Christ to see the character of God and put my faith and my obedience in his direction. Because preeminent means first in every way, and that's critical. Look at verse 18. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, the first to be resurrected. So that all those things are true. We gather. He lets us gather in his name under his authority because he started all this at creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. That's how we can participate. He was the first to be resurrected. That's the gospel. So that the gospel is true. So that in everything he might be preeminent. God did all that at the expense of the life of his son so that you could know him through his son, Jesus. It's a key phrase, and here's what gives it power. Look at verse 21. Paul defines our current reality and paints for us a more desirable reality that hinges on the truth of Christ's preeminence. Verse 21. And you, church believers, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, and man, here's that word again, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, have become a minister. Let me summarize that for you. You were far from God because of Christ. You can be close to God, so follow Christ so that you can be more like God and know him better. He's defined reality. He's shown us the gap, and he's shown that Christ is the bridge. And here's what it takes. It doesn't take some choice that's in the past. It takes an ongoing choice that Paul calls working out your salvation daily to simply say to Him daily and to reconcile your life to this truth daily and all day, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. So trust nothing more than Him because He's your avenue to know God. It's the gospel. I'll close with this from J.D. Greer, one of my favorite pastors. He's in Raleigh-Durham. True faith is not shown in the initial yes that you say to God. True faith is shown in the follow-through of obedience The question is not, have you ever stood in a baptismal tank at some point and declared that Jesus is Lord? The question is, does your life today declare that Jesus is Lord? It's not what your mouth says that determines whether or not you have faith. It's what your actions and your life says that determines whether or not you have faith. Grace through Christ isn't some open-ended ticket. It's not a ticket to live for ourselves and then end up with Jesus. It's so much more. It's an invitation to run after the very essence of the holiness of God through putting Christ first in all things. It's the life of of Christ's follower is marked by surrender. Putting Christ first to then honor God. Something we're completely incapable of if he doesn't make a way. What do you do with Jesus? What do you think about when God comes to mind? Let's pray together. Father, for far too long, I've had an unbalanced view of who you are. I've picked and chosen the things I like and ignored some things I didn't. Your son, Jesus, I can't look at him without seeing the fullness of you. So, teach me to look at him. Teach me to choose him even when I'm hurting. Choose him when I'm wrong. Choose him when I'm frustrated. Choose him when I'm bitter. Teach me to follow Christ daily and not leave him as something that I'll handle when things get hard. Father, remind me daily that not only are you judge and authoritative and powerful, but you are justifier. And through your Son, I too am justified. It's the gospel. God, let it change our lives. Calibrate our lives to the truth of who you are through your son, Jesus. So that following your son becomes the most defining thing about the direction of our lives. Father, I pray that you receive honor from what's happened here today and what we walk away with. And would you especially... Lead the men of this church as they commit to stand up as the lead repenters, the ones willing to go first as they follow you so that others will follow you too. Amen.